Okay, so let me just jump straight into this. I've got two scriptures, two Bible verses from the New Testament up on the screen. Um, and if you're listening on the podcast, podcast, shout out to you, I'll tell you what they are. I'm just going to read these and then get into it, hey? Some murmurs. Some of you may be agreeing with these and some of you may be upset by them. Let me read them. Tape photos are happening everywhere. <laughs> so I'm going to read from... 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 to 35, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 to 13. Women, this is a Corinthians one, women should be silent during the church meetings. It's the Bible, guys. It's all there in black and white. It is not proper for them to speak. I'm still talking though. They should be submissive, just as the law says. And if they have questions, that they should go home and ask their husbands at home. <laughs> for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. That doesn't mean the board meeting, it means the church Sunday deal. Oh. All right, next one. This is a Timothy one. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I'm wearing a nice necklace, but it's just an average cost shirt. It's not really expensive. <laughs> and my hair's just kind of down. It's not very elaborate. I, this is... What it says, a woman should learn in quietness, some versions say silence, and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, for she must be quiet. Because Adam was formed first and then Eve. <laughs> okay, so my, I know it's a weird kind of end of the year thing, isn't it? Some of you are like, is she intending to stop teaching? Or is it going to be a really quick one? She's going to just jump on down. But my message in my title is, should women be silent in church? <laughs> so this is a verse um, like, I'm not trying to be controversial. I love the Bible, and I love God, and I believe God's word is his, you know, the Bible is the main way and the first way that he speaks to us, and that everything else we have to taste, test against God's word. So this is something that I've wrestled with, because I'm not just going to read it and skip over it and go, that one's not for me, and keep reading. It's something that we really have to, or that I've had to, uh, research and dig deep and really wrestle with. And as I say, like, I don't want to be controversial or anything like that, but I really feel, I didn't even want to say this one today, but I just can't get away from it. You never had like a burden from God? I really believe that God wants to set some people free. That there are some women who have been silenced and God wants you to set, be set free today. And, and that there are some men here today who need to hear this message today and be set free by it. I really believe that God wants to say that today. So 
as I read these verses, you know, over many years of my life, I didn't just find them this week. I knew about them a long time ago. Um, and I say, wrestle with them and read them. And you kind of read them and you're like, oh, well, what does that mean for me? And what does it mean for you? And what does it mean for the world? What do these verses mean for women from different cultures? For Christian, you know, Asian women and African women? If their culture around them is oppressing them and then they meet Jesus and then the church says to them, but actually you're not allowed to say anything or ask any questions and you have to be silent and look nice, but not too nice. Not with like fancy pearls or anything. What does that mean for them? When we thought Jesus was setting us free and then the church comes back to this and says, it's all right there in black and white, lady. You're not allowed to say anything. What does it mean for women who, um, you know, become basically slaves to their families and, and slaves to their children and to this role that they have in their lives throughout the ages and in different areas? What does it mean for women when they get married? The man seems to just get, like, an awesome wife and the woman gets, like, more submission put on her. Like, how do we make sense of any of this stuff? What does it mean if this is true? Women should be silent in the church and they're not allowed to have authority or teach over anyone and she must be quiet. What, what does it mean for the world if Christian women are silent? Not just in the church, but for the world, if all the Christian women are silent, what does that mean for the world? If all the Christian women are, are not allowed to say anything and not allowed to lead, only have authority over children. Because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And what does that mean? And if this is true, then how do I as a woman read any other scripture verse? How do I understand what it means when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me and therefore go, I give it to you, go and um, tell the whole world. Am I meant to just add a little parenthesis on the end of every single thing that someone said and go, except for you women, you can only tell women and children. When Paul says, be ready in season, in season and out of season to preach and to teach and correct, except for you women, you're only allowed to do that to women and, and the children. Once they get to like teenage men, then you should stop and you should have to get your husband. What does it mean for women in those churches where they're leading a Bible study and then a guy comes in and legit, they have to stop the Bible study? Could this possibly, how can this possibly be in our scriptures and God speaking through this? And that's why I say that I've wrestled with these verses because they've been wrestling me back. These aren't verses that you just invite over for a cup of tea and, um, you know, nice cupcakes, cucumber sandwiches. These are verses that kind of clothesline you as a woman and pin you down and you hear the riff. Count to ten. How do we make sense of any of this? And I think, you know, as people have said this morning, coming into this year of supernatural, where we believe God's speaking this theme to live a supernatural life, that we, we don't need to be, you know, we need to level up our wrestling with the scripture and saying, what are you trying to say to us, God? And I don't want to make light of it, and I want to try and make a bit of sense of it today, and I certainly am not an expert, and yet here I am, still standing up here talking, so I've obviously got some solution to this, don't I? Otherwise, how dare I? So the first thing I want to point out is that, and because oh, I was talking to someone not about the scripture, a friend of mine from another church, and she, um, I was explaining a scripture verse to her with some historical context, and she looked at me and she's like disparaging my face. She's going, yeah, but we believe the Bible literally, because I wasn't taking it at face value. 
I was explaining a bit more of what it, what it actually meant. There is a difference between believing the scriptures literally, which we do, and just reading something at face value. Because we believe that all of the New Testament is literally true. It's not metaphor. Jesus literally was born a baby and was counted under the census. He literally grew up. He literally, um, you know, walked on water. He multiplied food. He literally healed people. All of that is totally legit. It's not metaphor. Did you know that? It's true. We believe it's actually the dude walked on water. And then he truly, literally died uh, under Pontius Pilate, the Roman. And then he rose again. The tomb was empty. None of that we think is like metaphor or anything like that. We literally believe it's true. And what he said would happen, that he's prepared the same thing for us, a resurrection for us as well, a resurrection for the whole of the cosmos, the whole of creation. We literally believe that. And yet there's still a difference between just a face value, whipping a verse out and going, shush, woman. Because we need to read the scripture in taking into consideration the historical and the cultural context and the witness of the whole church throughout the ages and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So, literally, which we believe, is not the same as just kind of face value reading. Um, God says, let's reason together. And then he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So I want to do a bit of a teaching today, even though right there it says that women can't teach men in the room. Okay. So um, first of all, these verses are in letters. The book of Corinthians, the book of Timothy, they're in letters. Um, There's got, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, building all the churches, and then there's a whole bunch of letters. Timothy, Hebrews, Romans, Corinthians, they're all letters to people. And when we read these letters, we're actually hearing sort of one half of a conversation. So this is Paul writing to Corinthian church and the, to Timothy, who I think is in the Ephesian church, and we're hearing like his side of the conversation. And the church as a whole has to figure out what the other side of the conversation or what's happening on the other end of the line that caused him to say this. So there's two sides that we need to take into consideration. And what I want you just to take one second to imagine with me, imagine with me how we, what was possibly happening in order for us to see that he literally meant this, that women are allowed to talk. So imagine this with me. Paul comes into a church, there's men and women worshipping, prophesying, praying, which he affirms, he agrees, he assumes is happening. He says that in other verses, as the women pray and prophesy. So that's all happening. People are coming to know God, it's great. And then it gets to the sermon time and a man asks a question and they're like, Paul, um, you know, can you explain to us what Jesus meant when he said, I'm the bread of life, what does that mean? And Paul's like, Jeremiah son of Ezekiel, that is such a good question, and he answers it. And then over here, a woman raises her hand, and she's like, Paul, can you tell us what it meant when Jesus said, uh, you know, there's many rooms in my father's house? And Paul's like, what? A woman is asking me a question. No way. I'm not even answering it. Someone write that down. Women are not allowed to ask questions. Who let that woman put her hand up? Oh, no. Then he takes a closer look. She's wearing pearls. Who's in charge here? Timothy. Uh, And look at her hairstyle. Like, that is elaborate. That's not just a ponytail. That's elaborate. And I think that shirt is actually a nice shirt. And Timothy, we're just not, none of it, not on. 
No questions, no elaborate hairstyles, not on. And definitely not allowed to say stuff if men are in the room. We're not having this, Timothy. So that's my literal interpretation about what possibly could have been happening to get this to mean women aren't allowed to do anything in church. Or they have to be submissive at all times to men in church as well. Which some churches have done and made, made that, that, that be their situation in church. But to add a bit more context, just have a think about this guy, Paul, who wrote this, just for a brief nanosecond. Have you ever heard of the Church of Philippians? Well, there was a place at Philippi. We've got a book called The Letter to the Philippians. Paul would go into every new place, as we see in the book of Acts, and he would find the Jewish people, and he would speak to them about Jesus, and then found a church if they would start believing in Jesus. He goes to a place called Philippi. He looks for all the Jewish people. There's only a few. They're all women. They're waiting and praying at the river, led by a woman called Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman, a really savvy, wealthy businesswoman. So he talks to her. He talks to them. They become believers in Jesus. She says, if you believe I'm a Christian now, then come back to my house. He's like, we do, Lydia, you're in. And then they go back to his house. They form the church. It starts at Lydia's house. Lydia's the foundational member. uh, And and, and she's the leader in the church. She definitely would have asked questions at some point, guys. uh, And Paul would have been answering them. And then he he goes back to her house. He didn't say, sorry, Lyds, can't come in until your husband's here. Um, You know, he affirms her as a leader. And the church in Philippi actually begins on Lydia's a house in her shoulders. She's its benefactor. She pays for it. Um, what else? Have you ever read the book of Romans? Tricky book. But at the very last page, Romans 16. Have a look at it this week. It's just this big shout out. He's like, shout out to my peeps. No, I shouldn't have done that. He's like, all these um, hellos to all the people. It was cooler in my head until halfway through I realized it wasn't. And my kids are here. Look, she's like, oh, mom. Um <laughs> First person he does a shout out to. It's just all these like, this person, that person, honor this person, hi to this person, this person works hard in the Lord. It's just men and women all sprinkled in. They're all people who are leaders in churches or hard workers for the Lord. First person is Phoebe, a deacon, a leader in the church. And he says, she is worthy. She's put her neck out for me. Whoever you are, do whatever she says. There's no parenthesis apart from all the men. You don't have to do whatever she says, only the women and children. He says, do whatever she says because she's an amazing leader. It goes on with all these other names, men names, women names. And there's a trifona and a trifosa. They're both women. And he says, my dear friend, Perseus, another woman worker in the Lord. These women work hard in the Lord. Like he's not talking about they make a really good cup of tea after church. He's saying they work hard at evangelizing and planting churches and and seeking out the lost and doing whatever it is that the church is doing and social justice. They work hard for the Lord. He calls them my co-workers. And then there's a lady, shout out to, I think it's Andronicus or something, and a lady called Junia, J-U-N-I-A. Hands up if you've heard of Junia. Like two people, yeah. Junia was an apostle. It says the most, not most, it says they are outstanding among the apostles. And for many centuries, the guys who were writing, translating the Bible went, probably they didn't mean a woman, even though the name is clearly a woman's name. So we'll just put an S on the end and make it a, a boy's name because she can't be an apostle. And then recently we're going, 
Bible historians are saying, it's definitely a lady, guys. There's no possible way historically that that could be a man. The only reason they changed it was because of their cultural bias. There's a, there's a woman apostle. Even the Vatican now recognizes Mary Magdalene as an apostle. Um, you know, we've come to this place where we know this guy Paul is for women leaders. I mean, you only have to look at him in his testimonies. He said about himself, he, used to, he was a Jew and he was like this rabbit, I want to kill all the Christians. And he said, I would go into houses where they were meeting the Christians and I would pull the men and the women out to, to put them in jail or maybe stone them. So he's always been equal opportunity, Paul. Men and women, out you go, off to jail. He's got no beef against women. He doesn't think they've got dud questions. So there's no possible way, just in the context of who Paul is and what's happening in the church, that we literally should read this, that women aren't allowed to have any authority or that women aren't allowed to ask questions in church, can we? Just knowing a couple of verses and there's stacks, stacks more. Are you with me? (laughs) Some women are. Are you with me, men? Cool. But they're like, but not at home. The women should be silent at home. (laughs) (coughs) So when we look at the Bible verses, we want to look at a bit more context. We want to look at the other verses around it, and indeed a whole letter, and rather than just take one verse out. If we just cherry pick this one verse, and then we take it completely out of cultural and historical context, and we don't imagine there's any reason for writing it apart from he just wants to say this one blanket statement and wipe out half of the church from having leadership roles and teaching roles and having any talking role in a service. It's like giving Jesus a stroke. It's like making Jesus lame and paralyzed on one whole half of his body. And you know that's not the picture that the body of Christ is meant to have on the earth. So when we read around those chapters, like around chapter 14 in in Corinthians, um, and indeed the whole book of Corinthians, we find out that Paul is actually talking about order in the church services. That's what it's all about. Just before this part, there's this whole screed about people speaking in tongues and prophesying in churches. You can read it. He says, I don't want to ban speaking in tongues, but it sounds like it got a bit rowdy, that everyone's just kind of coming up the front and prophesying and speaking in tongues, and someone's like, move over, I've got a better prophecy. I don't know. Um, But they were all chaotic like that. And Paul's trying to say, you need to have a bit of order. He says, because if the unbelievers come in, they will think you are crazy. Straight from Paul's mouth. He says, if an unbeliever comes in now and they can't hear and they don't know what you're doing, they'll think you're crazy. Maybe if you are new to a Pentecostal church, it would have been a day that you saw people speaking in tongues or being prayed for and things, and you would have had that exact thought, right? Show of hands if you thought that. Totes. (laughs) Those people are crazy. What's going on? And so he says, let's have some order in the service. Why? Because we want unbelievers to come into the service and actually have an openness and actually hear the gospel about Jesus and find freedom in Jesus. It's not about us having a rollicking good time at the possible expense of some unbeliever coming in and thinking, oh, that's too weird for me, I don't want it. And so there's this whole thing about like uh, uh, speaking in tongues and things. If there's no one there to interpret it, you should hold your peace. If there's um, someone with a prophecy and then someone else comes and they've got a greater revelation about that prophecy, you should hold your peace. 
And straight after that, he says, and if the women are all talking in church, they should hold their peace. It's got to do with being disorderly. And historians think that it was like the men were teaching in really the formal dialect, uh, the, the formal dialect that probably all the men had studied and knew. And the women are there and they don't understand it fully. And they would constantly be asking each other or the husband or everyone around them, what did he mean by that? What's going on there? And so this kind of chattering is happening and the person up the front is talking and Paul's saying, if unbelievers come in here, they'll just see this kind of mess of people chatting and be like, what's going on here? There's no order. I often feel like saying from the front, guys, if you've got, if you're new to church and you see everyone on their phones, they're taking notes probably or looking up the Bible app because I brought a friend to church. She'd never been to church. She literally looked around and saw, oh, everyone's got their phones out pulls her phone out, just starts scrolling. As Pastor Rob started speaking, I was like, they're not just on Pinterest or Facebook. They're actually taking notes because they don't know. And Paul's saying, that's what's going to happen. So can the women just keep quiet and ask their husbands about it at home? And I've done that. My kids are sitting next to me and, you know, the preacher says something and they go, what does he mean by that? If it's a quick answer, I'll answer. But if it's long, I'll go, I'll tell you that one when we get home. Haven't you done that as well? You bring a new person to church and they're going, what on earth did he mean by that? Well, who's this Mary that's talking about? And there's 20 of them. You go, uh, I'll take you out afterwards and we'll talk about it at home. It's, that's a reasonable way to read this, isn't it? Do you agree? That was really quiet, isn't it? We're just keeping the service going. And, then, and maybe people were asking questions in the middle of it. And he's saying, Paul, you know, if we had the kind of service where everyone could just ask questions um, and have like a Q&A during the person trying to give a talk um, or the, uh, you know, whatever's going on up the front, Paul would come to our church and go, one heart, you need to just ask people just to hold their peace and ask those things afterwards. It's not actually meaning that we don't love questions and God doesn't love questions. And we are very much encouraged to use our brains as Christians. Love the Lord with, love the Lord God with all your heart and mind and spirit. But uh, it doesn't mean that you just have to be silent. There's another way to look at this as well. And that was historians think that... Um, Having your hair down in that sort of culture and time was a sign that you were a prostitute. And so what might have been happening was that these women at Corinth or Ephesus, wherever they were, were wearing their hair down because they're free in Jesus now. And they know, hey, Jesus doesn't care if I have long hair or short hair. He doesn't care if i got a dress or, a, or pants on. He doesn't care if I have... Um, my hair up or down. I'm free in Jesus. And they're coming along and they all get their hair down. And Paul would say, you are totally free, but an unbeliever might come in and be like, I don't really want to bring my wife and kids here because it seems like there is a bunch of loose morals going on. So I'm going to leave. <laughs> They'll think we're crazy. They won't be open. It may be a barrier. Now, I think we have only just begun to scratch the surface, all of us. I think we've just begun to scratch the surface of our freedom in Jesus. I want to encourage you this week, in, you know, in holiday time, spend an afternoon and just try and think about how free you are in Jesus. I mean, we are free. We are free from every single cultural, political construct Every single social, like whatever the world says you should do or should be, in Jesus, 
You're free from all of that. You're utterly, utterly free. You are free from money. You're free, goodness, from worry. In Jesus, he frees us from worrying. You're free from death. That is this unbelievable, ridiculous level of freedom. And I think that the, the women in this place were starting to grasp onto that. And that's why he's saying you need to ha- cover your hair. Not because women are, I don't know, I can't even imagine the reason why. And not because it takes away any of their freedom in Jesus. It doesn't take away one dot of their freedom in Jesus. But it may just be a barrier to the unbeliever. I can promise you that you in Jesus are totally free, absolutely free. But if you come next week to church, stark is, stark naked. Even though you are free in Jesus, you don't have to wear clothes in Jesus. But if you come to church next week naked, then one of the pastors is going to ask you, dude, put some pants on and, and a shirt. Not to take away any of your freedom in Jesus, but it just might be a barrier. It might be a distraction. If people come in, they're like, I don't want to join this church. And that's what we reckon Paul is saying. I'm not here next week, so <laughs> over to you, Rob. You might be listening on the podcast and you're welcome to be in your jammy pants, whatever. Because I know that some of you here have actually felt real frustration, not about not wearing clothes or whatever, but real frustration and maybe even anger um, and sadness about how we run our church services. Because we don't have, we keep to time, we've got a little run sheet, we don't have like long time limitless free worship, we don't have, well we don't have like an open mic time where everyone can just come up and share their testimony and share their prophecies and their visions and dreams of what's been going on that week, we don't have that. We don't encourage people to, you know, be falling all over the aisles and one person crying here and one person laughing there, we don't actually encourage that in our services. And I just want to take a moment right now and acknowledge that and, he- and tell you that I hear, I hear that uh, grief that you may have about that, um, the sadness, the genuine frustration that you may experience about that. And you may feel like this, yeah, just grief, this loss, why don't we have that? I, I hear you and I acknowledge it. And I just want to take a moment to thank you and honour you for coming anyway and coming into alignment with, you know, having this order of service uh, because we are all here like Paul was, not just for ourselves but so that unbelievers can come and hear the gospel of Jesus. And we don't want to have any single barrier. At the end of this chapter 14 when he's talking about having order, Paul says, why do we do this? Because as they listen... This is a person who doesn't know Jesus. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. That's all Paul cares about and that's all we care about as well. That's why we have order in our service. That's why we have order in our lives so that people won't think we're crazy and that they will go, God is here. Peace is here.
And none of that is really anything to do with women aren't allowed to teach, is it? Or women aren't allowed to wear pearls. None of that is, is happening here when we read this, this full context, is it? It's just really not what these verses are about. It's just about order in the service. So I'll just ask the um, music team to come back up. I think it was Billy Graham, I think, who said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And this is what it all comes back to. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Men and women, children, we all come to the cross. We all find ourselves equally sinners standing before a holy God. We equally receive forgiveness and salvation and the Holy Spirit. There's no men get a bit more because they get to be the boss. We equally come before the cross. We equally, each and individually and as a community, get this promise of resurrection for ourselves and for the cosmos, the whole universe, all of creation. We equally are given the commission. Jesus said to go and tell the world. Jesus said it first to the woman, Mary Magdalene, and then he said it to his disciples, and then he said it to everyone he talked to. We equally are given the same mission to be his witnesses to the whole world. There's no hierarchy in Jesus. Everything's new, like that song, it's a new wine in Jesus. Paul says there's no more distinction between Gentile and Jew, slave or free, or man or woman, male or female, in Galatians 3.28. And Paul is not trying to dilute those things. He's not diluting culture. He's not saying it doesn't matter if you were a Jew. None of that matters anymore. He's not saying it doesn't matter if you were male or female. There's no such thing about that anymore. In fact, this came from a prayer that Paul used to say every single day. He would have, this would be the, probably the first prayer that he's prayed, oh, unless the Shema Israel was. This will be the second prayer that he prayed. Every single day from the time he was a little toddler learning to speak, and it's still in the synagogue prayers now, that the man would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord, God and King. I thank you for not making me a Gentile. I thank you for not making me a slave. I thank you for not making me a woman. That's the prayer that the synagogue, the men would pray and they prayed it every day. And I think one day Paul becomes a believer in Jesus and I think one day he went to say that prayer and he just went, oh, this revelation, I can't say that prayer anymore. Everything's different in Jesus. The Gentile is, that's all of us. The Gentile is given the same promise of salvation and an open door to God as, as every Jew, as anyone. The slave is not lesser anymore. In Jesus, even a slave has got the same image of God, the same dignity of having the image of God as, as anyone. The woman, you know what? In Jesus, not only does she become equal to man, in Jesus, women become equal to Jesus. And men become equal to Jesus. None of us are like over any other anymore. In Jesus, Jesus' kingdom of God is creating this profoundly new way 
of being community, where there's no more one over the other. The way to be a leader or the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus is to be the least. To serve the most is how you become the greatest. Shockingly, Jesus, we're all under Jesus, but he makes us peers of his own, not in divinity, but in sonship and daughtership. He says, you're going to do even greater things than I have done. He's always raising us under God the Father in Jesus. We are beside Jesus, not him and then women, not him and then men and then women and then children and then the animals and creation, but men and women. Just like in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, God created male and female. A profoundly new way of being in community with each other is what we find in Jesus, where every one of us is trying to submit to each other, not because we're less worthy or don't have the same gifts or anything like that, but because we're serving out of the love of Jesus, who seeks to raise every person up but never at the expense of himself. Women, I think, have been taught, and often when you have children, you get it reaffirmed to you that you've got to put yourself last, and everyone else gets to be first. And you put yourself last so much that sometimes you can actually dissolve away who you even are. But as you see, even as Jesus went to the cross and died and gave away his life, he said, no one takes this from me. I'm giving it willingly. It's something totally different. Suffering isn't redeemed in Jesus just because it's suffering. Suffering is redeemed in the cross because there's a resurrection. Women, it's like when we go through childbirth, that suffering is acceptable because at the end, you know, it's going to make way for a new baby to be born. But too many times, these verses and the church, unfortunately, tragically, have have spoken to women and, and just left them in their suffering in silence. There's a special place at the foot of the cross for women. And for anyone who feels like they're on the fringes, because in Jesus, we get this freedom. The symbol of how to belong to God in Judaism was was circumcision, which is a, a male right only. And now in Jesus, it's baptism. It's the same universally for every single person. If you accept Jesus, be baptized. Man, woman, child. It's the same across the board. What freedom we have. A woman who's been, you know, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit stands before God the Father in the same righteousness and justification and salvation that any other man does. You're not disqualified from being a disciple, from being a minister in his church, for being a witness no matter what. You're not, dis- you're not disqualified if you're a woman. You're not disqualified if you're poor. You're not disqualified if you're currently a drug addict. Even if you're listening on the podcast, if you're currently in prison, you're not disqualified. There's no disqualification process. You're not disqualified from coming to Jesus if you're gay if you don't have the right partner, if you don't have the right money, if you don't have the right lineage, if you don't have the right name, the right house, the right anything, or the wrong anything. No disqualification from Jesus at all. Every single one of us, none of us are excluded. Every single one of us are welcomed to come to Jesus, to experience this 
ridiculous, outrageous freedom in Jesus, which we have hardly begun to understand yet. And every single one of us, when we become a disciple of Jesus, the world is too hurting, the time is too short for any single one of us to be silent. Even the women. So what I'd like to do now, we'll just finish in a bit of prayer. Um, I might get you to just to stand and we'll just have some music. We won't sing at the moment. I'll just get you to close your eyes and we'll just pray. And I'm just going to ask you if there's been a time in your life that you have felt that you've been silenced, whether it was from well-meaning people or people who wanted to hurt you, if there's been a time that you've felt that you've been silenced, if there's been a time when you've felt that doors were closed to you in ministry or doors were closed to you in relationship or doors were closed to you in relationship with God, if there's been anything else that you've, that's touched you today, if you've been one of those people carrying grief or, or frustration or sadness at how we run our services and feeling like you're not free enough in them, if you're any one of those people, then just I'm just going to ask you to stand there and I just want you to raise your hand. And what I'm going to get everyone else to do, just raise your hand right up high. Just going to get everyone else around you to just come and stand around you, maybe put your hand on their shoulder. So have a look around and if there's someone near you, just, just stand around them. I'm doing this because... Right now, if you've got your hand raised and people are standing beside you, that's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ affirming you right now. That God sees you. That Jesus sees you. He knows your name. He gives you His Holy Spirit. He gives you His salvation. He gives you His presence. And he does not silence you. His word to you is to go and speak and be his witness and take his comforter, the Holy Spirit. You feel those hands, that's the church, that's the body of Christ surrounding you now and affirming your place. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, each of you now all together are Christ's body and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Let's just take this verse on now. God has given each of us different giftings. He no longer builds his church on hierarchy or lineage or who you know or what you're like. He, he builds his church on the giftings he places in you. And Paul says, if God's given you the ability to prophesy, then prophesy with as much faith as he, as he can. If God's given you the gift of serving, then serve. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's to give, give. If God's given you leadership, then lead responsibly and seriously. If you've got a gift for showing sign, kindness, do it gladly. Lord Jesus, I just pray as your Holy Spirit ministers to people right now 
that you would just break those shackles of silence off them, that you would just wilt away those words over them that said that they couldn't speak or they couldn't do or they couldn't go or they weren't good enough. I just declare that those are broken off this morning and that we would come to know your true freedom, the true freedom that we have in Jesus. And even that, Jesus, we lay down before you that other people would come to know Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So just ask you to take your seats. If you're interested in learning a bit more about particularly women in ministry, there's just a, two places I'd recommend that you start. And one is called the Junior Project. That's J-U-N-I-A project.com. There's a bunch of theologians, men and women who have written different articles. And um, I think he's Anglican, the uh, Bible historian and theologian. Tom Wright or N.T. Wright. Those are just good places to start if you want more information. So it was a weird verse. I know. But I pray that God has set some people free this morning. 